So we're going through the book of Romans. And Romans 8 is said to be one of the most crucial book chapters in the Bible. It's ridiculously important. And with how important it is, we're only going to touch on 11 verses of it today. So, you know, we're going to just miss the rest. But we won't miss the rest because y'all are going to go to Bible study next Sunday morning at 945, right? And that's when you get the rest of the chapter. That's where we're putting the rest of it. So today we're highlighting just the beginning parts of it. And, uh, and we're going to get involved with this text. But we have to catch up with Paul's line of thinking. I'm just going to give us a brief four-point overview about what we've gone through already. So the first point that we need to realize is, um, is Paul saying, because the world did not worship God, the whole world is given over to sin and evil. That's a current state where we are. The whole world is given over to sin and evil. We, the second thing is we must worship Jesus Lord wholly trusting in him to overcome evil. We've got to do that. We have to trust Jesus as Lord because he's the one who's going to overcome evil. The third part is we are still in a world full of evil. And so what am I to expect? When I became a Christian, I'm still in a world that's full of evil. What am I to expect of my own behavior? How am I supposed to be able to figure this out? Then he goes, chapter 7, what keeps me in after I sin? What is it about the Christian life that keeps me in? How do I know I'm a good Christian even after I sin? Because the problem is, in Christian theology, the sacrifice for sin has been made. It's not like I sin and then I go make a sacrifice. No, the sacrifice has already been made, so now what am I supposed to do? If I sin, now what? And that's the question that gets brought up in Romans 7. So these people that, that Paul are talking to, they're Jews who follow the way. Sometimes we make the mistake and think that he's talking to a whole bunch of Christians. The word Christian hadn't yet fully established as the title. These people are Jews, and they're following the way. So we have to go back, but when, when I get to this service, I wanted to start with Romans 8.1, which says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I realized that we've actually got to go through some of the logic of it so that we can end with there's no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. So here's our text for today. Romans 8.1-11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who would walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh... They set their mind on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set your mind in the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the Spirit 
is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God or his law, and indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You who have, however, you are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. In fact, if the spirit of God dwells inside of you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will also give life to your mortal body through the spirit who dwells in you. Whew. All right. There's a lot there. That is a big passage. Anybody follow it all the way through 100%? Anybody got that? Got it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, you. Awesome. Come, you preach. <laughs> Wonderful. There's a law in here. Let's start with the first question right here. What does it mean to have no condemnation for those who are in Christ? What do you think that means? This isn't a test. It's just a question. The verse starts off with it. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Slack question. What does it mean to have no condemnation for those who are in Christ? What do you guys think? The foundation of Paul's thought in this message comes from the advancement of Greek philosophy in the world. I'm not a philosophy major, but I have picked up a couple of things by studying history and studying the Hellenistic age. Just a little bit. See, Plato was an important individual, and he argued for the eternal being of the soul. So he says that the eternal being of the soul is what is lasting on forever. That's just what happened. But the body dies. So, so Plato is saying, all right, guys, there's something going on here. There's a split between your spirit and your body, and it goes over here. The Greek mythology started to create and worked with in the Elysium Fields, the idea that the soul finds rest in the Elysium Fields. So the spirit or soul of a person is eternal, rational, and therefore it's superior to the flesh in a person. It's superior to the flesh and the physical body. Now, when Paul is writing, there's a whole train of thought happening in the, um, in the eastern and southern part of the Mediterranean. And that train of thought takes that Platonic thought and moves it even further. And it's called Gnosticism, where the spirit is life and light and good and non-physical. And the, the, the flesh is body and tangible and broken and evil in and of itself. So Plato's understanding has been moved from simple, okay, there's spirit and there's flesh, into, in Paul's day and age, that we're starting to see a glorification of the spirit ideal and a degradation of the physical. Okay? So Paul is using the language here between flesh and spirit, and he's talking about flesh 
being our earthly body, and spirit, the eternal nature of God. For what the, and the, the verse, he, he, did it, he did it all throughout it, but the verse he did it, for what God, God has done, what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. So Hebrew school of thought, if I go even farther back than Plato, and I just go all the way back into when, before the, uh, before the uh, exile, and even in the synagogue era, Hebrew school of thought would have the imagery of the spirit, the breath of God living inside of us, spirit, pneuma, um, I can't say the Hebrew word, I apologize, uh, ruha, um, but no matter how many times I try to read it, I can't say it. Um, and so, so these are the breath, this is the spirit of God, and the body, they're tied together in Hebrew thought. They're, they're, they're very, very united, very much you are tied to your body. So when Plato starts saying the spirit goes off into an eternal destiny in the, in the sky as a non-physical being, the Hebrews would argue, no, I actually believe in a physical resurrection. Flesh, spirit. This is what's happening. And Paul is recognizing he's coming from a Hebrew theology and he's living in a Greek world. And he's recognizing, how do I make this distinction between spirit and body? How is this going to work out? Hebrew, and so Paul is embracing the Greek philosophy to communicate an important truth. See, God has created a way the physical body can live eternally through resurrection. And that's what Paul is getting at here. So let me backtrack to the, to the Slack question that I asked at the beginning. What does it mean to have no condemnation for those who are in Christ? Does it mean that I don't have to pay for indulgences? Um, <laughs> right. Then somebody's like, well, then what's tithing? Um, right. Okay, tithing has nothing to do with the forgiveness of sins. Let's just be clear on that. It means that Christ's death has paid the penalty for my sin guilt, taken away my condemnation, and in Christ also means that it's ongoing. So as I commit sins, they are paid for. Both old and new sins um, are offering, are on the offering. So Jesus, so I try to minimize adding sins. Oh, they offend Jesus, so I try to minimize adding sins. And despite the fact that I might still act in contrast to God's desire for me and I sin, I will not suffer the eternal consequences of my sin. It's no longer I that sin in me. It's no longer I that sin, but sin in me doing the wrong, from Romans 7, right? I have put to, get to death my sinful nature, and I live as a new creature in Christ. My faith in the good news that my sin has been nailed to the cross. So what does it mean to have no condemnation for those who are in Christ? How do we understand and relate to the flesh or physicality of Christ if the pure spiritual is superior? This was a big theological question in the church at that time. They also may be relevant today, especially when it comes to how we spiritualize or make holy our body functions and desires. 
absolutely correct. So this is the question. How am I supposed to understand this spirit world that so much happened in our text today, where it's like if you put your mind on the spirit, and, you know, and, or the law weakened by the flesh couldn't do it. What's going on here? So these are, these are great questions. God has created a way that the physical body can live eternally through resurrection. See, unlike the Gnostics, Paul is not devaluing the physical body. This is huge. He is using the Greek philosophical construct to point how God brings the physical body into immortality. How many of you guys know that as your physical body uh, ages and gets sick, we will all at some point die? Anybody got that part figured out? Our culture doesn't actually really like to admit it, but it is true. And, and there's this idea that comes from the Psalms. It comes from even earlier where we've got like, no, there's, there's, a, there's a striving for eternity that's on our hearts. But we're struck with this very short time that we're here. We're going to die. And that sucks. And Paul's saying, hold up. It's not quite like that because the Greek solution was, oh, it's okay, your body can die, but then you'll go on in the Elysium fields, which nobody knows where it is, and, and you just float around there and it'll be lovely. Well, the thing is, we've done the same with heaven. Our theology has taken heaven to make it this simple metaphysical place that we all go off because body has no value, and we all go off and float in the sky somewhere in heaven with like little harps, and we're like floating on clouds and eating Philadelphia cream cheese, <laughs> which is awful. I mean the floating on clouds. Not that I don't care about Philadelphia cream cheese either. Um, dairy's terrible, and bologna has it. <sighs> Anyways, um, so... So we've got this, this image of heaven being up here, far away. And Paul's saying, no, 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 God's created a way that your physical body lives eternally. God grants a physical resurrection. God's created, God created humanity to be physical. But we can only have that eternally if God gives us the gift of eternal life. And that's given through the person of Jesus. That's given by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You don't live eternally until God dwells in you. And there's something totally different about that. See, we cannot, there's nothing you can do to achieve the eternal life of God there's no action in the flesh that you can do that will negate the fact that you will not live forever. I don't care how healthy you are. I don't care how many supplements you take. Oh my gosh, supplements. Anybody else take supplements in this room? I just started. We had to add a whole new budget line in our budget sheet. It's freaking expensive. I'm like, oh my, but I, I feel really healthy except for when I eat bologna, which has milk. I'm not angry. Okay, so, so we have this piece where, where God is saying, you, there's nothing you can do in the flesh that's going to make you not die. Can't do it. You can work out every day. You can be perfect in health every single day. You can make sure that you don't jaywalk so that you don't get hit by a bus. Figure that out. I got it. 
but it's not going to make you immortal. There's nothing you can do. So, how does Paul show this works? Someone said that you could suggest the, the Cartesian framework we tend to operate in. The mind is separate from the body. Maybe more modern version of the problem. Is the Christian faith predominantly mental or intellectual? What's the place of the body, the physical, the everyday in the Christian faith? Yes, we're getting to that right now. So let's take a look at what Paul's language says in, to show us how it works. Look at this. Paul's saying you're defined by what you set your mind on. So to answer that, that question here, Paul's saying in, in this bringing it together, you're defined by what you set your mind on. So let me ask you while we go through this section, what takes up the majority of your thinking time? What takes up the majority of your thinking time? And here let's look at the verse that talk about Paul saying what you set your mind on. For those who live according to, their, to the flesh, we put the flesh over here, the spirit over here. For those of you living according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. Unlike Pastor Devin, who sets his mind on sushi. But those who live according to their spirit, according to the spirit, set their mind on the things of the spirit. For to set your mind on the flesh is death. To set your mind on the spirit is life and peace. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Now why? Well, because God is way larger than the flesh. God is actually a threat to the flesh because God's way more powerful than you. You're done. Like he could just like, and you're like blowing like crazy. Like there, you, you, don't, you can't shake a fist at God and, and win. You're not, you're not going to get anywhere. So, so the flesh as a biological being will push against that because self-preservation. I don't want to do that. So, so we have this sense that the, that the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't want to submit to God. It, it can't. For those who are in the flesh, they can't please God. So Paul's using that common Greek understanding taught by the schools of philosophy to take control of where you gain your identity from. So three times Paul uses the term, set your mind on. For those who live according to their flesh, set their mind on things of the flesh. They are, they're now cast in a less desirable light because the flesh is failing and it's perishable. Paul's talking about this no condemnation thing. He's talking about the gospel. So there are those who live according to prioritizing the perishable things. Paul continues, for the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. And so here's what, here's what we want to do with, with what Paul's doing right here. When he says the mind that's set on the flesh, he's talking about perishable things. He's not talking about my skin, my epidermis, He's not talking about that because he's going to actually link that with resurrection. He's talking about the things that'll perish, like whether we have pews or not. Who cares if we have pews or not? They're going to perish. How much money do we have? Who cares how much money you have in your bank? It can't save you. It's going to perish. What's my status at work? What is my status at work? Anyways, so these things can't save you. This is setting your mind on the flesh. They're not going to save you. 
The people who prioritize the things of the world that are passing, they can't grasp the eternal value of the things of the Spirit. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on things of the Spirit. These people are cast in a positive light because the construct, Paul is saying, these people are superior because they're eternal. The Spirit's where the, where the human exists forever. But Paul's suggesting that's not the natural order of things. Now he brings them together. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. If you orient your entire priority set and identification around the spirit of God, there is a way to eternal life, and it's through Jesus. We need to be defined by the spirit of God. So you set your time on that. So what takes up the majority of your thinking? What's for dinner? The maple leaves, I'm sorry. Actually, maybe this year, maybe. That was a big trade. Um, work, education, children, relationships, work, homeschooling, cute nephews, baby Alex, my wife and work, overthinking about what I'm thinking about, the war in Ukraine, future plans, Mostly I think about work. Someone thinks about things that are static. So this is, this is the question. If Paul is suggesting that we focus our mind mostly on God, then wouldn't it be best if we all become monks, read scriptures and pray all day, give up our fleshly desires and pleasures and let that and distract us and everything that distracts us from God? But... Maybe there's, maybe there's an element of truth to that. But I think what Paul's doing is he's saying, I want you to set your mind on the Spirit, which brings into play the eternal nature that God is inviting us into. When we are granted eternal life, the gift of God is eternal life. When we're granted eternal life, we find that it changes the way that I think about my business practices today. Why? Because if I'm already concerned that I'm just going to die, then I only have a very short period of time in which to make enough wealth. I need to cut throat, be more aggressive, make more money at business, accomplish everything before I die. But the eternal life says, wait a second, I don't have to put that as my number one priority. I can now be more gracious, more generous, more giving, more, more forgiving, because I'm going to live eternally. My business is actually something that God is going to redeem. The way I work becomes eternally important because now I can say, I do this for the glory of God. I'm honing in on my skills. I'm getting better. I'm not just ignoring the world. I will always be a physical being. So I better do this in a life-sustaining, eternal way. I'm not always going to... I will always be a physical being. And so we, we see that God that we take up the majority of our time and we think now about the Spirit and how the Spirit would guide us in what will become eternal. Now, let me finish with this. 
I'm going to skip a little bit down to, will Christ be found in you? You, however, are not in the Spirit, but in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body will die because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. This is where we get set free. When I put my mind on the Spirit of God, acknowledging Jesus Lord, even though my body will perish, my body will be resurrected. In the heavens, in the, in the new heaven, in the new earth, we will live as physical beings walking around using our God-given talents that we've already been developing here in this life right now. We'll be walking around using our God-given talents for the glory of God into all eternity. There is nothing to be thrown away. The Gnostics went, oh, you have to only be spiritual and the physical body doesn't matter. The question came, should we just focus on God and become monks? No, no, no. Focus on the Spirit of God and allow that to make everything you do in your job, in your relationships, in your life, allow that to be elevated to something that's eternally sustainable. In other words, if you're a cutthroat business person, that's not going to cut it in the new heaven and the new earth. Practice a better way. If, you, if you're a person that... that totally ignores your family because you've got this going on and that going on, that's not going to cut it sustainably. Bring balance in your life so that it's able to go on forever because you're going to live forever. I was going to ask a little bit more, but I really am out of time. The question that I want to ask is from this perspective, maybe you'll get it on Slack even after I'm done, what do you imagine heaven to look like? Is it this airy thing that's up in the sky? Or is it concrete, physical, where your body has been redeemed? And if it's your body, then what does that look like? How do you walk in a new heaven and a new earth? And you allow that imagination to build in you. Let me pray. God, thank you for this congregation. What a heady passage this is. Wow, okay. So we're talking Greek philosophy, and we're talking spirit and flesh and heaven and all this other stuff. But God, we're just normal, everyday people. And so Jesus, I pray that you would take our normal, everyday life, and at the end of this, that you would show us what elements of our normal, everyday life last on what things are we doing that just they just work they're just going that's sustainable into into this eternal life that you've called us into and what areas in our life lead to death and demise even though they might get me ahead a little bit right now what leads to death and demise i pray that we would set our minds on things that are of the spirit which are eternal but also physical and jesus i pray i pray that we would be a people of integrity that can be physically engaged in an eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.